0: I was on my horse rounding up some lambs in the scrub at the edge of my dad's property. It's hot as hell, and it was a quick job so much of jumped in in Thong's flip-flops for the non-aussies and shorts. I am nearly done when I see one little bugger stuck in a fence, so I ride back to the edge and get down to get it out. As I got off the horse, I flicked up a stick and scratched my leg. I get the lamb out, it runs off to the others, and I go to get back on the horse. I feel a bit shit but get on and ride back to the sheds where my dad was. I get there, jump off my horse and look at my leg. Yep, two bloody marks where I got that stick. By this stage I am feeling really shit and my leg is burning. I tell dad who thinks I am trying to get out of work but says I better get to the hospital. We go in, I get swabbed and it's a tiger snake bite. Get the antivenom, spend a week in hospital and ages on crutches. And just to top it off, while I was in hospital, my boyfriend broke up with me. So recently, I was in my backyard garden in German, and my cat and dog started running towards the fence. You could only hear sticks cracking. However, my pretty tough cat ran inside. You should know he's taking on dogs bigger than him. My dog did the same. But then, I was able to get a better glimpse at that thing. It was a dog-sized creature without any traces of fur, black skin, and kind of glowing orange eyes. Later that night, I stood at my rooftop window and saw the creature running across the street in twilight. Last night, I heard some pretty deep and creepy growls and howls out of the forest. I strongly believe it's some kind of cryptid, but I'm not sure. Do you guys know more about such a creature? So, this event happened over the weekend while I was home from college for my mom's birthday. On Saturday night, I had a couple beers with my girlfriend who was spending the weekend at our house because my parents are super chill. At about 12.30 p.m., a few minutes after my parents went to bed, I went out to the back porch to grab a couple more beers for myself and my girlfriend who was waiting in the basement where we planned to watch Game of Thrones for a while before going to sleep. I opened the back door and stepped onto the back porch. Immediately the hairs on the back of my neck stood on end, and I felt like was being watched from the tree line my back porch overlooks the backyard which leads directly into a thick woods. I thought nothing of it at first because I always feels a little spooked going outside at night, but as I opened the cooler I heard it. In my mind, it was unmistakable. The agonizing screams of what sounded like my next-door neighbor and her teenage daughter. I won't say their names because Reddit creeps. What's even more terrifying is that I swear they were screaming a very specific thing. Sam, help us please Sam, my name. Now I was drunk and already on edge to frankly I turned around without the beers and locked the door behind me as I went back inside. Then I heard my mom's voice calling from upstairs, asking me if I'd heard it. I responded yes, and asked if she knew what it was. She didn't have a clear answer, only speculation. But she knew for a fact that our neighbors were both inside their home. I'm not a hunter, but I was hiking in a state park with a friend once about a half mile away from the trail and five miles from the trail's start, and we found a woman's blouse, some jeans that were ripped from the zipper to the crotch, and a pair of underwear. It all looked super dirty, like it had been there for a really long time. It really freaked me out, especially because it wasn't the type of clothes you would wear for a couple-mile hike. We reported it to the ranger station, and they said they would check it out, but I don't know if they ever did. When I got home, I looked for any crimes in that area for the past couple years, but I couldn't find anything. I haven't been in the woods without a group since. When I was about 19, I went duck hunting and flooded hardwood timber along the Wisconsin River. It was November at the time, and it was about 15 Fahrenheit, 10 Celsius out. Most of the local lakes had frozen over, so ducks were thick along this section of the river. I had a 12-foot boat and a 10-horse motor, which was perfect for getting around between the tree trunks, but I parked the boat in the trees and set my decoys out in a little clearing. The water amongst the trees is about 2 feet deep, and it deepens to about 3 feet or so in the clearings. I'd finished setting up my decoys this morning at about 5 a.m. It was split pea soup foggy and leaves were being blown across the water. I was standing about thigh deep in the water on the edge of the trees. Now bear in mind that it's dark. My eyes were adjusted enough that I could see faint outlines, and that's about it. Suddenly, about 45 minutes before dawn, I noticed some large ripples in the water around my decoy spread. I got excited thinking that a duck I hadn't noticed had swum into my spread. However, the ripples started getting more agitated and suddenly started heading towards me very quickly. I started backing up as quickly as I could and trying to get my gun off my shoulder strap. I hit a log and sit down on it hard, almost going over backwards. The ripples suddenly turn into a splash and suddenly a huge ass otter has his front paws on my knees his face about three inches from my own. He hisses at me, and I thought I was about to get mauled. After what felt like an eternity of him staring me down, he slips off me and circles the log a few times before joining what I could now see were four other otters about 20 feet away looking at this ordeal. After this fantastic occurrence, I sat on the log for about 20 minutes before pulling myself together and wading back to my hunting spot at the edge of the clearing. Several years ago, during a chilling October evening, my friend and I embarked on a drive from Waldo to Cultus. The road was familiar to us, but as dusk settled in, the surrounding landscape transformed into an eerie and shadowy realm. As we maneuvered through the dwindling light, our headlights pierced the darkness, revealing an unexpected sight. A lone figure emerged from the gloom, trudging forward despite the biting cold. Clad only in a t-shirt and shorts, he seemed ill-prepared for the harsh elements that awaited him on his journey towards Cultus. Concerned for his well-being, we decided to stop and offer him a ride. Rolling down the window, I called out to him, asking if he needed assistance and if he wanted a lift to the nearby resort. To my surprise, his response sent a shiver down my spine. With an unsettling intensity in his eyes, the man looked at me and uttered a phrase that still echoes in my memory. You're going to take me to La Pine." His words were laced with an inexplicable demand, as if he expected nothing less than compliance. Caught off guard by his unwavering insistence, I attempted to reason with him, explaining that we were unable to accommodate his request to travel all the way to La Pine. I offered to drop him off at the resort which was a more reasonable distance. However, his response was far from what I expected. In an alarming twist, the man swiftly produced a pocket knife, the glint of the blade reflecting the fading light. He repeated his demand with a chilling certainty, You're taking me to La Pine. The gravity of the situation suddenly became all too real, and the adrenaline surged through my veins. Maintaining a calm facade, I assessed the situation and made a quick decision. Sensing the potential danger, I chose to prioritize our safety and promptly drove away, leaving the mysterious man to his solitary trek in the desolate darkness. It was the year 2013 in Sangin, Afghanistan. Late at night, while on post, I had a thermal device attached to my RCO, allowing me to scan the southern green zone. Out of nowhere, a bright white blip materialized in the sky. It didn't appear to have flown in from any direction, but rather emerged within my thermal view. Intrigued, I paused my observation through the scope and noticed that the blip transformed into a hovering red light. Without hesitation, I radioed the Command Operations Center, COC, to inquire if we had any aircraft in the area. They confirmed that we didn't, and my comrade on post also witnessed the peculiar sight. Post 3 radioed in as well, validating that they too had visual contact with the object. The object started moving in an unconventional triangular pattern, intermittently pausing to hover before resuming its triangular routines. Suddenly, it accelerated, zooming away at an incredible speed, seemingly transitioning from a standstill to Mach 1 in an instant, and then it vanished. None of us could explain what we had just witnessed. Surprisingly, the object would reappear in different locations at random intervals throughout our deployment. Considering we had only about 100 personnel on the forward operating base FOB, news of the sighting spread rapidly. Many of the guys on post during the winter would catch glimpses of it as well. At times, we would even gather near the walls to catch another glimpse of this enigmatic phenomenon. It was an undeniably strange occurrence, and I found solace in the fact that others had also witnessed it. I was fishing near Vico, Italy, at the exact spot where I had witnessed an airborne disc on the 24th. Suddenly, a tall, thin man approached me, showing a keen interest in flying saucers. He even offered me a cigarette with a gold tip. But as soon as I smoked it, it made me sick, and he callously threw it into the water. After this strange encounter, he simply walked away. I began to fear that someone was trying to silence me, so I decided to take action. I went directly to the public prosecutor's office in the town of Luca, and provided a detailed statement about my UFO experience, ensuring that it was documented and officially on record. Rustler Peak, towering at 6205 feet, held secrets that were waiting to be unraveled. It was in this realm, specifically in section 10, that we stumbled upon a phenomenon that defied explanation twisted trees. Their contorted forms stood as silent witnesses to an unseen force that permeated the area, leaving us in awe of the mysteries that lay hidden within. But it was our most recent expedition that etched itself deep within our memories. We embarked on a thrilling mountain biking adventure, venturing north of Rustler Peak. The wind whispered through the trees, carrying with it an air of anticipation. Little did we know that the true essence of the unknown was lurking just around the corner. As we pedaled forward, a wave of putrid odor assaulted our senses, overpowering even the freshness of the mountain air. It was a stench unlike anything we had encountered before, a repugnant aroma that twisted our faces in disgust. The smell permeated the very essence of the landscape, seeping into our souls and leaving an indelible mark. Curiosity mingled with apprehension as we explored further, following the trail of this peculiar scent. It was not the smell of decay or death, but rather something altogether inexplicable. The intensity grew with each passing moment, casting a shadow of unease over our adventurous spirits. The landscape shifted before our eyes, the atmosphere thick with an otherworldly presence. We were no longer just mountain bikers traversing the terrain. We had become explorers of the unknown, unraveling the enigma that surrounded us. The scent guided our path, leading us deeper into the heart of mystery. With every petal stroke, our hearts raced, a mixture of exhilaration and trepidation coursing through our veins. The unseen force that had twisted the trees seemed to manifest itself in this inexplicable odor, pulling us further into its enigmatic embrace. We were on the cusp of something extraordinary, standing at the precipice of understanding. But alas, the answers eluded us. The source of the odor remained concealed, teasing us with its presence, yet refusing to reveal itself fully. We were left with a sense of awe and wonder, our minds buzzing with questions that would remain unanswered. Four years may have passed since that encounter, but the memories are as vivid as if they had happened yesterday. Rustler Peak, with its twisted trees and unexplained odors, continues to beckon to us a reminder that the world we inhabit is teeming with mysteries waiting to be discovered. As I reminisce about those moments, a spark of curiosity ignites within me, urging me to seek out new adventures, to delve deeper into the realms of the unknown. Rustler Peak has imprinted itself upon my soul, forever reminding me that there is more to this world than meets the eye, a tapestry of wonder and perplexity that begs to be explored in 1981 an officer claims that he was on patrol with another officer they received a call about something large in a wooded area of sand ridge state forest when they went to investigate lo and behold they saw what appeared to be a hair covered man standing on two legs watching them from about 200 feet away The creature quickly ran off into the woods before either could get a good look at it, but both stated it looked like something out of this world. The following is an excerpt from the witness report about what happened. As we pulled up, it walked on two legs until reaching a tree, then knelt down behind it, rose up back on two legs, and continued staring at us. Officer Odia got out of the car, rifle in hand. I got out, putting my spare revolver in my waistband pulling out my shotgun from its bracket under the dash. We both walked to the front of the cruiser, each taking a side, scanning for it. When Odia said loudly, there it is, I didn't see anything, so I shuddered where he told me where it was, behind a tree about 45 yards away, crouched down, watching us. He instructed me to stay back while he approached it for a better look. Odia stated that he watched as this thing kept looking left and right, making sure nobody else was coming. Once satisfied that they were alone, it began running back towards us. That's when I took my first shot at it with my 12 gauge. It was just beginning to rise up though, so all that happened was buckshots springing into the tree behind it. Odia then grabbed me, told me to follow him back to the car. Once we got back in the car, he told me we needed to leave now. It was very dark, but still light enough for us to see. This thing was hideous. Odia has since passed away. Before he died, though, he wanted to come out and get the story. For all these years, I just never knew how or what the right time was. Most people have a hard time believing that policemen would not take into account shooting an unencrypted. However, when working with Odia, he claimed he would never shoot and kill a Bigfoot because they were simply too much paperwork. I live in Germany now, but the incident took place in southern Brazil, in the state of Paraná in 2021. A brief summary of how I ended up in this situation. In 2020, I discovered I had cancer, so I had surgery, chemo, etc. for a few months. I finished treatment in 2021. I was in the bath and felt something strange. The surgery site had ruptured after five months and was oozing pus and blood. I despaired. My father has a quarry with an open mine of about 120 meters in diameter and 20 meters deep. It is a place far from the city, about eight kilometers in the middle of the woods and with some family farms nearby. Well, I loved the place and decided to go there to think about what to do. I was afraid to restart the treatment, afraid that maybe the cancer had come back with a vengeance. There is the place where the crushing plant used to be, exactly where the trucks unloaded to the grinder. To take advantage of the force of gravity, it is located on the slope of a ravine about 30-40 meters high with an incredible view of the horizon. I parked my truck there and lay on top of it and watched the shooting stars. I don't know exactly how many hours later, but it should have been something like midnight. I hear footsteps slowly coming towards me. I was armed with a pistol, but I left it inside and I was in the back of the truck. All I had was a piece of wood lying there. At that time, I was scared of this being a criminal as we had problems with thieves stealing machine parts and parts. But this individual came right from the side of the cliff and it was impossible for anyone to walk up. I even went back to check it later. My second thought was that it was a jaguar. Because I had been lying down for a long time, whether I was a jaguar or a criminal, it might have thought that I had fallen asleep. As the steps got closer, I deduced that it was already on my side. I looked without moving my head, and I didn't see anything that was the height of a person. So I jumped with the piece of wood and screamed because it had to be an animal. Then I saw something I'd never seen anything like it before, and I get goosebumps just writing about it. It was a human figure, completely dark brown. It had no eyes, no mouth, and no ears. It looked like thick smoke it walked very clumsily, as if twisting. When I jumped, it still hadn't finished climbing. I froze. It finished the climb. It passed by my side, about a meter away. When I jumped up and screamed, it did absolutely nothing. It passed by me and followed the opposite path. I took to get there, left the road, and entered the forest. I retrieved the gun from inside the truck. It walked for a while and came out again in the clearing it started moving towards me. The night was very clear with an almost full moon. When it got nearer as it came towards me, I started shooting. I shot 10 times. I remembered that I still had 12 rounds because when I arrived, I fired a few shots. I landed all the shots as it approached. It didn't do anything. It didn't seem to hit anything. At that distance, I never missed. Then it stopped and went back into the bush. The rest of the night it walked in a semicircle about 50 meters from me, into the woods, out on the clearing, and into the woods on the other side. When dawn came it entered the forest, and I could hear the footsteps in the distance. I grew up there, I know every inch of it. I'm 32 years old, my childhood and youth were spent walking around there, going into the forest. You've never seen anything like it. When I asked my father, he just said that it wasn't good to go there alone at night because there's something strange. He had come that early morning because they were looking for me since I had left without warning and left my cell phone at home. He figured I would be there. So I live in North Carolina, in the kind of suburb-ish of a kind of small town. I came outside to smoke and all the dogs started barking and then all at once stopped i was watching my neighbor through the trees bringing his dog in and a black mass moved very quickly through the trees now i'm in my backyard and it's fully fenced in and this thing looked like it was on my side of the fence and it was fully black and almost round like something hunched over and it moved way too smoothly to be like a dog or deer I'm just curious and mildly concerned, LOL, any ideas as to what this might have been? This encounter took place on Fort Carson, Colorado Gunnery Range, in the fall of 1991. I grew up an Air Force brat who had been just about everywhere. I joined the U.S. Army out of high school, and I have my proud career to hang my hat on. That being said, it's taken me many, many years to have the guts to share this story. I have been haunted ever since. It still makes me shake to the core reliving that night. Our squadron was out in the field preparing for the qualification of the M1 tank and Bradley Fighting Vehicle crews. We called this gunnery downrange Fort Carson a scrub brush, which is an untouched landscape with a view of the Rocky Mountain Front Range that is simply beautiful. Towards the end of qualification, it is about 1.30 a.m., and the tank and Bradley crews were appearing to road march back to camp. The road back to camp was a well-groomed dirt road with very deep ditches on either side due to the heavy rainfall. Our team was back in the barracks awaiting the crews as we were to go to them if their vehicles had an issue or breakdowns. Nearly everyone in the barracks was laying on their cots, either sleeping or playing bones by the stove as it was a chilly night. The head NCO is playing bones and listening to the radio traffic. He shouted out they were on their way back in. People start to stir and move around trying to wake up just in case they needed us. I was laying on the end of my cot with my feet on the floor. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, I had my beanie pulled down over my face to block the light. I was fully awake. The radio was directly across from me. Suddenly, over the radio, our co gave orders to start the road march back to camp. The radio crackled and conversations began to take place. The first crews to road march back out were the Bradley fighting vehicle teams. The first Bradley had a ground guide out front. Everyone was wearing night vision goggles and they were using blackout lights to guide their way. Without warning, one of the drivers shouted, hey, what the hell is that? I know the voice came over the radio. I don't know another voice. We need to stop. We need to stop. The CEO came over the radio and wanted to know what was going on up there. Another voice, sir, we need to stop. Just then I recognized our EXO telling the CEO, we need to stop the convoy now, sir. Meanwhile, at the same time, everyone back in the barracks was now standing next to the radio and listening to what was going on and staring at each other with amazement. The CO gave the order to the lead Bradley to come to a full stop and halt the convoy. Keep in mind, while all this was taking place, the first and second Bradley crews were staring at a bipedal dark figure standing on the road looking over his shoulder at them at about 50 feet away. I mentioned the deep ditches. It was said by several crew members that this figure stepped out of the ditch with ease and began to walk in the middle of the road in front of the convoy. This bipedal creature had no care in the world that the crews or the vehicles were there. It's just standing there. By the time the CEO got to the front of the convoy to see what was going on, he had a hell of a mess on his hands. The radio chatter exploded into yells and F-bombs. People telling the ground guide to run and jump up on the top of the turret for safety. The EXO shouting to everyone over the radio to calm down and get their shit together. The first ground guide stated that in his night vision goggles, when this creature stepped out of the ditch and onto the road, the creature's eyes were glowing like green fire and standing before him. It was like having an out-of-body experience. The remaining crew had no idea what was going on up front. They could not really get a good look. But the first three Bradleys got to see everything. All the crews heard everything, and in the third Bradley was the EXO. He was a former state trooper, a solid no-BS kind of guy who was standing through the turret hatch. He saw everything. As the CEO was making his way up the road to the front of the convoy, the creature turned and calmly walked to the other side of the road and disappeared into the ditch. The CEO was met by the EXO and the ground guide who told him what had happened. You could hear the conversation going back and forth through the ground guide's mic. Tensions were high. Soon the convoy was underway again. About 30 minutes later the door burst open in our barracks and the crews started pouring in. They're excited and shouting at us. Did you hear what happened? The first ground guide was pushed to the front of the crowd and was asked to tell us what had happened in a military kind of way if you know what i mean suddenly the ceo came through the door someone yelled attention he made his way through the crowd to the center of the room and stated you didn't see anything none of this happened and if i hear of any chatter about it tonight you will answer to me do you understand everyone yelled yes sir the next morning were all spent from the night before. No one got any sleep, and to make things worse, in came the Blackhawks and men in suits with the base commander. They spoke to certain people, and the incident was soon put behind us. The most common thread amongst the eyewitnesses was that the Sasquatch seemed to not really care about the chaos on the road that night. It never ran or seemed to be scared. The way it stood there and stared at them, eyes glowing, is what freaked everyone out. I had always been a skeptic. Growing up, I scoffed at the idea of UFOs, laughed at ghost stories, and rolled my eyes at conspiracy theories. It was no surprise to anyone when I joined the police force, determined to bring some rationality to a world filled with wild tales and unexplained phenomena. My early days as a rookie cop were filled with mundane assignments, routine traffic stops, and the occasional domestic disturbance call but everything changed when I received a call that would take me deep into the heart of the unknown. It was a crisp autumn morning when the call came in. I was stationed at the local police precinct, sipping on lukewarm coffee and trying to stay awake during yet another endless paperwork session. The voice on the other end of the radio belonged to Ranger Stevens, the head of a nearby national forest. He sounded anxious and out of breath as he relayed the message. We need assistance, he said, his voice trembling. We found something, something we can't explain. I exchanged bewildered glances with my fellow officers as I responded. We're on our way, Ranger Stevens. What's the situation? The answer was cryptic. Just get here as soon as you can. It's in the deep woods. We piled into a Jeep, myself and three other officers. The atmosphere in the vehicle was tense, our curiosity piqued by Ranger Stevens' unusual distress. We drove in silence, the dense forest canopy casting eerie shadows across the winding road. As we arrived at the designated spot, we spotted Ranger Stevens and two of his colleagues standing beside a massive black cadaver bag. The air was heavy with an unsettling stillness. I couldn't help but notice the bewildered expressions on their faces as they clutched the bag's handles. We approached cautiously, my heart pounding in my chest as I tried to prepare myself for whatever was inside that bag. Ranger Stevens, his face drained of color, finally spoke. We found this. Thing deep in the woods. It's not an animal. We don't know what it is. My fellow officers and I exchanged concerned glances before one of my colleagues. Officer Ramirez asked, What do you mean, not an animal? What is it? Ranger Stevens hesitated for a moment, his voice barely above a whisper. It looks like, like Bigfoot, but it has the face of a werewolf and brown skin. We don't know how to explain it. The words hung in the air like a chilling fog. None of us knew how to react. It sounded like the ramblings of a lunatic or the plot of a B-grade horror movie. Before we could press for more answers, the sound of approaching rotor blades shattered the silence. A black helicopter descended from the sky, and the emblem of the CIA was unmistakable. Out stepped a group of operatives, dressed in all-black tactical gear. One of them, a stern-faced man with a shaved head, approached us. Step aside, officers, he ordered, his tone brooking no argument. We'll take it from here. We watched in a mix of awe and confusion as the CIA operatives carefully loaded the massive cadaver bag onto their chopper. The bag was secured with heavy chains, as though whatever was inside posed a significant threat. As the helicopter rose into the sky and disappeared among the treetops, I turned to my fellow officers. We were all stunned, our disbelief and curiosity matched only by the profound uncertainty of what we had just witnessed. In the days and weeks that followed, the incident in the deep woods became a whispered legend among us. We never received any official explanation, and the CIA operatives had vanished as mysteriously as they had arrived. I found myself questioning everything I had once believed about the world, realizing that there were mysteries out there that defied explanation. I may have started my career as a skeptic. But that day in the National Forest had shown me that the world was a far stranger and more enigmatic place than I had ever imagined. And as I continued my work in the police force, I couldn't help but wonder what other secrets it might hold. About 10 years ago, there was four of us walking through the woods local to us. To get to the best entrance to the woods, you have to walk through a crematorium. There was me, Thomas, Lisa, and Alice, and we had planned to go camping in the woods. We had been camping in these woods on many occasions. I had a very easygoing mum, so the parents of the other three would call my mum to ask if we was having a sleepover at my house. My mum been Nice, said yes. We were all 13 at the time. We was walking through the woods to where we normally camped, and on the way there, we walked past a man with an ax. He didn't speak, just stared us out. We walked on and just brushed it off. The night went on as you would expect, having fun trying to drink and not be sick and just have a laugh with friends. We went in the tent to go to sleep about 3 a.m. About 20 minutes later, we heard what sounded like trees been axed down. The sound echoed around the woods and made us all alert. This went on for about five minutes, then as soon as it stated it finished. Thomas joked about the man with the axe and Alice got rather upset with him. Time had passed, and just as we were about to go to sleep, we heard footsteps. They were circling around our tent. We all sat up in shock and started to panic. We heard logs of wood been dropped outside our tent. We could feel the wood as it struck the floor. We gained the courage to look out of the tent and as well peered out. He was there sat on the floor staring into the tent as we opened it. We all bailed and ran as fast as we could from them woods. All this time we never heard him talk. Ten years on none of us have ever stepped foot near them woods again. This was probably six or seven years ago that this happened, but I do often think about it. So one day I was just having a little me time before work and felt like running inside this fast food place to sit down and have lunch. As I'm in line waiting to order an older man around 50s or 60s, I'm like 23 or 24 mind you walks up kind of close and starts chatting, asking me what my fave dessert was at that restaurant. I was being nice and said I liked the chocolate cake. Then he asks if I'm from around here, to which I just nodded and said yeah. He stated he lived way out in the woods, and I just nodded and kind of started to ignore him while it was my turn to order. I ordered my food, and it came up quickly, so I took my tray to a table by a window. I had forgotten about the guy at this point and got up to get condiments and stuff. When I got back to my seat, I saw that he was at the table just in front of me, facing towards me, just staring at me with his food in front of him. I got a bad vibe and moved to the other side of my table so I wouldn't have to face him. I then realized I forgot to get something at the condiment area and got up to go over there. As I foolishly walked past the creepy man's table, he looked up at me and said, You don't have to sit alone, you know. I looked at him and said, I'm fine, I want to be alone, and continued to get what I was getting. When I walked back, I went around the other way so I didn't go past his table again. I ate quickly, not even sure I finished, cause I was just weirded out. I could feel him just staring at the back of my head at this point, so I just got my tray and got up to throw it away and leave. As I walked past his table again, had to walk past to get to the garbage cans, he looked up and creepily smiled and said, Hey, well, it was nice to meet ya. And I just threw a dirty look and walked quickly away. I left and kinda sprinted to my car to make sure he wasn't following me. I mean, maybe his intentions weren't bad, but I kept getting a weird vibe. I think about it often, like maybe he was genuinely looking for someone to chat with. I was just looking to eat and chill without being bothered, so maybe I could have been too rude. So there I was, stationed in Afghanistan during the years of 2011 and 2012. It was a tense time as we constantly monitored the predator feeds, eagerly anticipating the start of our shift and the missions that lay ahead. Little did I know that this particular day would bring forth a series of events that would leave us all in awe and disbelief. As we watched the feeds, our attention was immediately captured by the sight of a motorcycle speeding through the rugged Afghan terrain. It carried three individuals, one of whom had a bag over their head, facing backward. Instantly, a wave of concern washed over us, as we realized we were witnessing a kidnapping unfold right before our eyes. We braced ourselves, fearing the worst witnessing a fellow human being meet a tragic end. The motorcycle came to a halt near a cluster of trees, breaking the illusion of Afghanistan as a desert landscape perpetuated by the media. The captors led the hooded figure out of their sight, and he was forced to kneel on the ground. Time seemed to slow down as we anxiously awaited the next moments, filled with dread and helplessness. But to our astonishment, instead of carrying out a gruesome act, the captors unexpectedly lifted the hooded man back onto the bike. Confusion mingled with relief as we watched them speed towards the nearest town, our anticipation mounting. As they arrived in the heart of the town, our anxiety peaked once more. The motorcycle screeched to a halt And the captors pushed the man against a wall what could their intentions be our minds raced with speculation fearing the worst then something utterly unexpected unfolded before our eyes a seemingly ordinary ice cream cart was pushed into view the captors removed the hood revealing the face of the kidnapped man to our amazement they handed him the ice cream cart transforming him from a victim to an unexpected purveyor of frozen treats As if scripted, the once-captive man began moving through the town, selling ice cream to the locals. Confusion swept through our ranks, mirroring the disbelief we felt within ourselves. The situation had taken a surreal turn, leaving us questioning our assumptions and perceptions of the world around us. Lived in Germany for many years while my father was stationed there U.S. Army. We lived off base and private housing and I loved it. That country is amazing. The vast forests, the mountains, the countryside, the farmlands, the little towns. Everything. I quickly became really good friends with some local boys whose parents owned the town's dairy farm. We were always in the forests running around and exploring, fishing, playing army, etc. I was around 8 or 9 years old around that time, 37 now one night stayed late at the farm hanging with the guys left about nine or ten ish it was dark but then moonlight gave pretty good vision that night i remember i lived just across the soccer field and a small cornfield from the farm as i'm walking through the soccer field i see a bit of movement just real quick from the corner of my eye along the tree line at the edge of the field i quickly step up my pace As I turn to take my usual path through the cornfield to my house, I see at least half a dozen silhouette figures emerge from each side of the rows of corn on the sides of the path. I froze so hard, they just stand there. Then there's one behind me. Before I can snap around and haul ass, he asked in German where I was going. I turn around now and what I see surprises, but relieves me also. I answered in English and told him I was heading home. He was then curious about my English. Turns out it was a team of special forces operators. I mean, these guys were decked out in so much tactical gear. I couldn't comprehend how they were able to move so stealthily. Night vision goggles, packs, bags, weapons, there was even a dog. They looked like total badasses who were using these small towns off base to do some training. I just happened upon them this particular night. I'll never understand why they chose to break cover and show themselves. They could have easily just stayed put, and I would have walked right by them non, then wiser. They walked me home as it was on their way back, they said. Started off creepy for me, but it was actually pretty cool. An experience I will never forget that's always stuck with me. Cheers. Most skinwalker sightings occur in the US, but I have heard a few allegedly true stories of similar shape shifting entities here in India. I have heard stories from my grandfather and my mother's grandfather about their encounters to be exact. Here I'll narrate my mother's grandpa's, let's call him John's story. It happened in the fifties and in those days, the population of the area we live in was quite low. So adjacent villages were pretty far from each other and the main mode of transport was horses. One evening after sunset, he was returning home on his horse on a very lonely road. There was nothing but farmland and trees on both sides as far as he could see. Suddenly in the distance, he saw a large white lamb, baby goat-like animal, just standing in the middle of the road facing him. There were a lot of jackals in the area, so John took pity and decided to carry the lamb or goat home along with him. He approached it and picked it up, and placed it on his horse such that the animal was in front of him on its side with its legs dangling across either side of the horse. It must have been half an hour after that when it was getting a little dark that John heard scratching noises coming from the below. He looked and saw that the legs of the animal had seemingly grown so long that they were literally rubbing across the road as they were moving. He got so scared that he just it threw across the road and quickly ran away on his horse. But that didn't end there. When he was close to his home, but still not inside the village, he saw a disgusting-looking woman on the side of the road who started running alongside him. She was begging him to let him on the horse continuously. She ran away when human settlement came into view. John got high fever after the incident and was on his bed for a few days. He is now very old and himself told me this story. I think whatever he saw pretty much matches the qualities of a skinwalker. What do you guys think? When I was 24 years old, I drove all around the South End in Georgia, USA in a hearse. I was used to driving in the forest for miles on end with no contact with anyone else. The only comfort I had was the radio. I liked it even if it was mostly country rock and stupid love songs. It was around 11 p.m. and I was on this long stretch of road that I don't think anyone has been on for decades. By that point, I had been driving down this road for two hours and it looked like there was no sign I was anywhere close to reaching the end. Soon enough I had to take a leak, so I stopped the car and hopped out. I was, and I'm a big dude. I think I was around 190 pounds. I have lost a lot of weight since then, but anyhow. I started peeing in the creek, and when I was done I headed back from my car, but then I heard something. I darted my head back and saw this strange animal. It had red tentacles surrounding its mouth, and this great big fangs with a strange green bubbly liquid oozing out. The rest of the body was mostly a dark yellow apart from the red dots on its back, seemingly in a random pattern. It had slimly skinned like a frog and had the eyes of one too. It had a tadpole-like tail, but the strangest part were its legs. It only had two, and I don't mean it had two legs and arms. Noah just had two legs with large claws on them, and the ankles were raised like a goat. But they had a large spike sticking out of them like a dewclaw. It was making these awful heavy pig-like noises. It sounded like it just ran a marathon, and the green ooze didn't help. I froze for a good three seconds, and it did too. It had its legs spread like it was in a power stance. Once I snapped out of it, I bolted for my hearse and sped out of there. I didn't stay long enough at sea if it was chasing me or not. So that's my story. I know the idea of a two-legged creature doesn't make sense because all vertebrates are known for their four legs. And it couldn't have been an invertebrate, that's for sure. So please, if you have any idea on what I saw, please let me know. This all happened in 2016, if that helps. I was 12. Me and my father scouted the area several times. I had on first-generation electric socks and insulated coveralls. It was four in the morning on a heavily-traveled deer path, and we both found great spots in the heavy snow, downwind of the path and concealed. I fell back asleep. My sock batteries died, and my sweaty feet froze to my boots, and my ass froze to the ground because I had a hot ass, and it melted the snow, which then refroze. A sound behind me woke me up and I turned around. A large doe's butt was about two feet from my face and I reacted by yelling shit because I was an ill-behaved and heavily armed child. All I saw after that was a white tail popping up in my face and some pains to my torso. As you can tell, I'm still traumatized 50 years later. I don't deer hunt anymore. Whoa, finally got that off my chest.